Well, welcome to part four in our study of Nehemiah. We've been learning about God's power to rebuild anything that's broken down in our lives or to build anything that God puts on our heart. And as we've been thinking about construction projects, I looked up some construction fails this last week. They may have been titled, quote, Why Women Live Longer Than Men, but we're not going to get into that today, okay? But check out some of these construction fails. This guy is, uh, the, the ledge ends here. He's standing on a ladder, which is very properly supported by his two buddies, okay? Uh, here's one more that I found to be quite entertaining. Danger, flammable gas. Smoking's not healthy at any time, but this guy chose that time. So some construction projects get started and they don't get completed because of inept workers. But other times, construction projects get started and they make progress and they don't get completed for lack of follow-through. And here's an example of this. This is a Soviet submarine. It was going to be a nuclear-powered submarine. And when the Soviet Union essentially went bankrupt in the early 1990s, it left behind all these massive construction projects that were 80 to 90% complete and then were abandoned. So in this case, I mean, that's a human there. It gives you a sense of how massive this submarine is. And for some reason, I'm fascinated by these unfinished construction projects. There's projects all around the world, but to me, the most interesting of them all are these space shuttles. Check out these space shuttles in Kazakhstan, again, former Soviet territory. These space shuttles were completed to about the 95% mark. They were pretty much ready to fly into outer space. I mean, billions of dollars thousands of engineers and these massive hangars. Let's look at a close-up of one of these shuttles. Isn't this amazing? They're just sitting there now covered in dust and in bird poop. They've just been abandoned. And you know, what's remarkable is when a project is so close to completion, but people walk away. And as a pastor, I've seen that very often in our lives, we do the same thing. We set out to work on our marriage. Or you set out to say, I'm going to have a relationship with God so often as a pastor. I've seen people start to make progress, and very often they'll be like this. They'll be way closer than they think, and I've learned that usually when you're at the 90% mark, that's when it's the hardest. And too often I see people give up at the 90% mark. It breaks my heart. From when I was a pastor of a church of 40 people all the way up to where we are today, I've seen it almost every month. There will be a family, they're attending, the mom and dad, the marriage is improving, the kids are growing, everything's going well, and then something happens in life. Maybe the dad gets a promotion and now he's too busy to go to church. Or maybe something happens, they hear some rumor, they get their feelings hurt, for whatever reason they disengage. And this construction project that God was doing in their marriage, in their family, in their lives, they walk away from it and it becomes an uncompleted dream. Too often we plateau in our relationship, you're just living with your spouse, you're living under the same roof, but the relationship isn't growing. Or you plateau in your career, you're not doing what you love, you're not doing what you were created to do, but you've just kind of given up on that dream. Or maybe you plateau in your relationship with God. Here's the question we're asking today. What will keep your best intentions? In this series, you've identified something that you're building or rebuilding. You've got good intentions about it. 
What will keep those good intentions from ending up in the junkyard of forsaken dreams, in the landfill of half-finished projects? What's the difference between a dream that's half done and a dream that is followed through all the way to completion? Well, in the book of Nehemiah, in chapter 4, we see this moment where the job is halfway done. Just like that submarine or that space shuttle, this took a lot of work, but it was only halfway there. It says in chapter 4, verse 6, At last the wall was completed to half its height, but half its height around the entire city. And this is because the people, plural, together, they had worked with enthusiasm. Now, as a refresher, this wall, it's not something they were doing just to try to keep a certain kind of person out. This was a necessary infrastructure for cities at this time in history. Every ancient city had one of these big stone walls around, and that's what allowed them to sleep at night and know that they weren't going to get robbed in the middle of the night. It's what allowed them to do business and to build up inventory. Their whole economy, family, legacy, inheritance, their ability to have freedom, prosperity, and build wealth all depended on this wall. And because these are God's people, God put it on the heart of Nehemiah to go build this wall. But as we saw last week, every time Nehemiah takes a step forward in the work of God, he runs into opposition. There's these outside adversaries who are threatening God's people. And they even spread rumors about Nehemiah. And these people from the outside, at one point, they start to say, we're going to kill you all. And so God's people have to start working with a sword on their side or in their hand and with a tool in the other hand. And yet, Nehemiah, every time there's opposition from without or even when there's division from within God's own people, Nehemiah, as a leader, he just keeps pressing forward. Let's fast forward to chapter 6, verse 15, and here's what God's word says. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished. One of the things I love about the Bible is while this story is thousands of years old, you can go to Jerusalem today and you can touch parts of this wall that Nehemiah and the people of God built. And believe it or not, once they got organized and they got aligned, they did it in 52 days that they rebuilt the wall. How did they not give up? Well, last week we saw this turning point in the story. When the wall was halfway done, and the opponents start to say, we're going to attack you and kill you. And here's what Nehemiah gets up in front of God's people. Here's what he says in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, don't be afraid of the enemy. So when you have opposition, you know God's calling you to build something or rebuild something. There will always be opposition. Don't focus. Don't obsess. Don't fixate on the opposition. Acknowledge it, but then bring it to the God of heaven. Nehemiah says, remember the Lord. The Lord is great and glorious, and this is a theme through the whole book of Nehemiah, the God of heaven, the God who's bigger than Artaxerxes, he's bigger than the opponents, and we remind ourselves of that, he's bigger than your addiction, he's bigger than your past, he's bigger than your regrets, he's bigger than your shame, he's bigger than your broken marriage, that relationship that you think could never be restored, he's bigger than that. And when you get discouraged, you remember the Lord. And then Nehemiah says, and fight. Fight for it. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters and your wives. And fight for your homes. So how does scripture answer our question about seeing your God-given dream not end up in the landfill of broken dreams, but be completely done? Here's the answer. Vision becomes reality. When we follow through with grit. 
Vision becomes reality. The God-given vision that he's given you for your career, for your relationship with him, for your marriage, for who your kids could grow up to be, that God-given vision, it becomes a reality when you follow through. In the book of Nehemiah, we see this principle that God does his part. The God of heaven does miracles and he protects and he provides, but Nehemiah does a lot of work too. And and there's this kind of dance as we go about following God in life that he will provide, he will protect, he will do his part, but we do have to do our part. And our part is following through that we don't get 80% done and walk away. We follow through with grit. And by grit, I mean literal perseverance, but we're also gonna see that the word grit is an acronym for four principles, two of which I wanna teach you today. But before we get into that, I want you in your mind, I want you to visualize when you're walking through a Goodwill or a donation store and there's all those treadmills, right? There's all the old exercise equipment. People had a dream and the dream ended up at the Goodwill. I want you to visualize the Goodwill junkyard of half-finished, cast-aside dreams and projects. Walk through the old treadmills, the abandoned marriages, the forsaken relationships, the forgotten dreams, and here's what'll happen as you walk through that area. You will trip over the debris of good intentions. You'll stumble over a whole lot of I should haves or I wills, but I never did. You'll trip on a lot of impulsive beginnings. What you won't find in the junkyard of half-finished cast-aside dreams is grit. What you won't find is perseverance. What you won't find is the willpower that said, when I'm 90% there and it feels like I can't take a step forward, I'm gonna just step forward anyway. You know, follow through requires grit in the hard times and in the good times. Last week after the 1115 service, I baptized a brother in the Lord, his name is Blake. And here's to me what was so encouraging as I talked with Blake and I got to know his family and his story is that Blake has been here for a few years and God has been working in his life. Blake has been following through with grit. A few years ago, Blake was so overweight that he actually couldn't keep doing his job and it was starting to really affect his health. Well, in the last couple years, Blake has lost 100 pounds. His marriage, which was completely falling apart, they're still doing work like the rest of us, but their marriage is healthy. Blake's elementary-age daughter, Hadley, he was able to baptize after I baptized him. Blake had a dream job that he had prepared for years ago, and he actually gave up on ever having that job. Well, within the last month, as we've been going through this series, ironically, Blake, that company reached out to him. They pursued him and said, will you come do this role? And so Blake's in this place where now the job he wants he's got, the marriage he wants he's got, he's healthier. And you know what I see sometimes as a pastor? People get to that 90% mark and then they say, well, it's a beautiful day. I don't really need God like I did six months ago. I'm just gonna play outside today because it's one of the most beautiful days of the year in Indiana. So why would I go to church? And Blake instead says, I'm gonna keep going to church. I'm gonna follow through with perseverance on the good days, on the bad days. I'm gonna be in the house of God every weekend because that's what keeps me healthy. That's what keeps me growing. I'm gonna keep doing the work. And I looked Blake in the eyes. I said, I gotta tell you, brother, I'm so proud of you because now that things are going well, you're committing to God more than ever before. You're not turning away. Grit 
means following through when things get better and when things get worse. Well, we've learned this so far in this series. When our hearts long to build or rebuild something, we've learned four steps. And if you missed any one of these, I'd encourage you to watch them online. These principles from the Word of God, they've encouraged me so deeply. Week one, we learned to feel the pain. Don't do the usual American thing and medicate it by buying stuff or drinking stuff or looking at social media in a way that just numbs your mind. Feel the pain in your life. Feel it and bring it to God. Feel the pain enough. Nehemiah mourns that the wall of Jerusalem is torn down. He weeps and then he brings it to God and he says, you're the God of heaven. I can't fix this, but you can. That's step one. Then we learned you commit to God's way. Nehemiah said, okay, God, I can't do this without you. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. And by the way, committing to God's way means if you think, well, I should do this with my finances, but the word of God says do this, it means I'm going to do it your way, God. Last week, we looked at this reality that when you step out to serve God and you really commit to his way, very often, bam, you run into a brick wall of opposition. And last week, we learned when that happens, that's when you fight for it. Last week, Nehemiah, he's opposed from outside, he's opposed from within, and he says, we're going to fight for it. Well, what do you do when you've done those three steps and you're fighting for it and your legs are shaking and your arms feel like rubber and your faith feels like it's just completely running out? What do you do then? That's when you choose to follow through with grit. Now, what do I mean by grit? I do mean perseverance, but I also mean this. The G of grit is God. These are four themes that you'll find in the whole book of Nehemiah. And I'll show you one verse that encapsulates them. But the God of heaven is the power source. The God of heaven, when you can't keep going, you appeal to the God of heaven. Every time Nehemiah is opposed, every time he has a setback, he does the same thing. He prays to the God of heaven. That's the G of grit. The R of grit we'll unpack later in our message today, and that's about your rhythms, your routines. You have a schedule that keeps you doing the work, whether you feel good or feel bad, you just keep doing it. The I is inspiration, where Nehemiah says, do this for your wives, do this for your kids, do this for your own homes, have the end goal in mind. Here's what I'm working toward, and we'll unpack that in the month of September when we continue this series. The T of grit is team. There's no amazing project in history that's ever been done by one solo person. There's there's no amazing thing that happens without a team. So let's get into, uh, well, I want to show you where all these are in one verse. Verse 14, you can make fun of me if you want, but I've color-coded this, okay? I just wanted you to see, here's God, remember the Lord. Here's the rhythm, they fight even as they're working. Here's the inspiration, do this for your homes, and here's the team, this is for your brothers, it's all plural, we're doing this together, no one of us could do this alone. So let's dig into rhythm. What does rhythm mean? Well, here's what I mean by rhythm. You commit to predictable, scheduled times when you do the specific work of God's dream in your life. What's an example of that? Well, I'll give you an example of that. You can find me on any Friday morning in the same place. Friday's my one day off per week, and you know what I do every Friday morning? I go to breakfast with my wife. I go to breakfast, and I usually leave my phones at home so we can have two or three hours where I look her in the eyes, 
and I'm able to just hear 100% how she's feeling, how she's doing. I'm able to tell her how I'm feeling and doing. And on a good day, I've left my phone at home and I'm not doing text messages while we're there. Why do I do that? Well, because our marriage, we've gone through hard times in the past. And we've learned a lot of principles. We've learned a lot of things. And we've learned that we have to fight for our marriage. We have to fight for that relationship. If we allow life and kids and soccer games and school and work to just all be so busy that we don't have any one-on-one time, our marriage starts to go downhill. And so that is part of my schedule. And what rhythm is about is saying, here's my priorities in life, and here's my weekly calendar, and my priorities are the first thing I put on my calendar. Everything else fills in around them. So it's not well, I do everything that I'm expected to do or people want me to do, and maybe I'll get to my marriage if I have a chance. It's my marriage, it's God, family. Those are my first two things, and so it shows on my calendar. Does this make sense? So here's how this applies to you. Whatever it is that God's put on your heart to build or rebuild, today's the day that you get out your calendar, whether you do it on your phone or you're an old paper and pencil person, you get out your calendar and you say, here's when I have time, that reflects my priority to rebuild the specific thing that God has put on my heart. Rhythm can be weekly, it can be daily. You know, every night you'll find me doing the same thing. It's old school, but I kneel at the side of my bed. And is, is that, it's like, John, is that the only time you pray? No, yeah, I try to pray throughout the day, et cetera, et cetera. But I've found that it's important that I have one routine time where I get before God and it's just me and him. So if I've had a crazy day of emergencies and putting out fires and whatever else, I know there's still that time it's just me and God and I'm able to say, God of heaven, here's all my feelings, you're bigger than them. Here's all the things that are on my heart, you can make them happen. Give me a good night of sleep. That's my my time, it's part of my routine. There's nothing unspiritual about having a routine. In fact, God created routines You might remember when God created the world, he worked for six days, and then on the seventh, he did this thing that millennials call a mental health day. (laughs) You'll hear young people, I'm working too hard, I need to take a mental health day. Do you know God invented the mental health day? He called it the Sabbath. And after six days of working, God himself rested for a day, and he said, here's how it goes. You can work hard for six days, but you gotta rest every seven days if you wanna keep yourself healthy. That's part of a rhythm. That's part of a routine. And as a follower of Jesus, we're told in the book of Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together in the church. And so as followers of Jesus, we say part of my rhythm is that every weekend I'm gonna be in the house of God with the people of God. Unless physically I can't be there, I'm traveling or I'm sick or I'm out of town or I'm on vacation. If I'm in town and I'm healthy, I'm in the house of God. Why? Because that rhythm creates results, routines create results. Here's one example of the rhythm in Nehemiah, chapter four, verse 17. When the people, they've been working building the wall, now they're getting threatened from the outside. And so they start to work with one hand while they've got a sword or a weapon in the other hand. And so the people of God, they say, we're kind of playing offense, but we're ready to play defense. They've got this rhythm. They've got this routine. And I've listed a number of other references on your outline if you want to dig deeper into this. To me, the offense is saying, I'm going to be in the house of God every week. I'm going to be on the offense with my wife every week, having time with her. 
I'm gonna spend some time with each of my kids every week, just some one-on-one time. It doesn't have to be five hours, but it's some focused time. I'm gonna have time with God every day. What are your priorities? What does God say should be your priorities? And maybe you're here and you say, you know, the thing I've chosen to rebuild in this series, maybe you say it's my finances. You know, I just keep spending more than I make and I know I can't just keep doing this. Well, then put it in your calendar that every Friday at three o'clock or every Friday at seven o'clock, pick a time that works. It's like, that's the time when I sit down or if you're married, we sit down and we look and we see, did we spend less than we made this week? You establish the rhythm. Well, I wanna show you a picture of one of my favorite things in the world. This is called a tachometer. And the tachometer is a, a dial on your dashboard and it tells you how fast your engine is spinning. Now, did you know that when you're driving around town, your engine, the crankshaft at the middle of it, is spinning anywhere from 1,000 to five or 6,000 times per minute? And it's that rhythm, it's that rotation that produces energy that moves your tires. And it's the same in life. Anything that moves forward has a rhythm to it. I mean, I love a good V8 engine when you park and you're in neutral and you can just kind of hear it rumbling at the slower idle rhythm, you just kind of, you can feel it, you can hear it. Anything that moves forward in life has rhythm. A freight train, for example, a freight train that's moving 50 or 60 miles an hour, what's happening? Well, its engine is moving in a rhythm. Its wheels are moving in a rhythm. Do you know that a loaded up freight train like this, if all the cars are full of heavy stuff, it could run into a concrete wall five or six feet thick. And you know what would happen? the concrete would explode and the train would just keep going. It wouldn't even slow it down because of the momentum, because of the rhythmic momentum. But you take this exact same train and you slowly bring it to a stop and you put just some little wooden blocks in front of the wheels and guess what? That same train with the same motor can't move an inch because it doesn't have the momentum. And so often in our lives, we'll start to do something good and then we'll stop. We'll start, we'll stop. And what we forget is it takes way more energy to start something than to just keep it going. And this is such an important principle because we live at a time where so many of our neighbors are controlled by their feelings. And if one day they don't feel like they're in love anymore, then they give up on their marriage. One day they don't feel like going to church, so they don't go. One day they don't feel like showing up to work, so they don't show up to work. Here's the thing, anything that's worthwhile takes rhythm. And part of the rhythm is saying, I'm gonna keep doing the right things every week, every month, every day. I'm just gonna keep doing the right things. And I know myself from reading the word of God, I'm gonna have days where I feel it, and I'm gonna have days when I don't feel it. And whether I'm feeling it or I'm not feeling it, I'm just gonna keep doing the right things that God has said to do. That gives me momentum. And then when there's a brick wall of opposition, Maybe the opposition is my own emotions. Maybe the opposition is a setback, but I'm able to just blast right through that because of the momentum of living life God's way. Anything that moves has rhythm, and if you want your life to move forward, you've got to have some rhythms. Here's a summary of what we're learning today. There's no great feat without follow-through. There will be no great feat in your life, no great accomplishment without follow-through. There's no great triumph without teamwork. You're not gonna get there alone. And there's no lasting results without a rhythmic momentum dependence on this God of heaven. These are themes in the book of Nehemiah. So the broken thing that you've committed to see God build today, 
Will you, even now, you can jot it down on your notes. I won't be offended. Here's the time every week I'm going to look at my finances. I'm going to find a time when I get together with my spouse every week. I'm going to change from being a person who goes to church when I feel like it or I'm in a crisis to I'm there every weekend unless I'm in the hospital or have the flu or out of town on work or vacation. What are the spiritual rhythms that you are committed to and what are the spiritual rhythms that you need to commit to? I'll show you a picture here of Jeff and Stephanie Hughes. In the spring, we celebrated that Jeff and Stephanie paid off a whole bunch of student loan debt and auto debt, and they're completely out of debt. Dave Ramsey had them on his show to celebrate their progress. Jeff and Stephanie are one of 37 families who've gone through our Financial Peace University this year. And I just want to celebrate what these families have done so far this year. 37 families in our church have cut up and paid off 104 credit cards. They've paid off $277,000 of debt. Where they didn't have reserve or emergency savings, they've saved about $72,000 for a total difference. I mean, we're only eight months into the year here of $350,000 for those 37 families. Isn't that awesome? Can we celebrate that? Now, here's the thing about Financial Peace University. It didn't start with 37 families. It started with 40-some, maybe it was 50, 48 or 50 families. Why have these 37 families made this progress? Because they have persevered with grit. Starting the class was good. Establishing a rhythm that says every month we're going to do this, every week we're going to do this, that's what creates follow-through for these families. And if you're one of those that started and got out, it's not too late. Get back in there. It's not too late. That's the whole point of this series. If you, you've made progress in the past on your marriage, you've made progress in the past in your relationship with God or your finances, don't give up now. Get back in the game. Join these 37 families, wherever it is, say, I'm gonna be one who follows through with perseverance. I'm not gonna live a life that's full of half-built dreams and forsaken projects. Well, it's because of us collectively as a church, we push forward with grit we follow through and follow God on the days we feel like it, the days we don't. It's because of that that God keeps the momentum of this train plowing forward. And it's because of you all and your grit that by God's grace so far this year, we've seen 179 people be baptized. Can we celebrate that? That's what I, I want to put this... Let me put it in perspective for you because sometimes we see a number, we're like, what does that mean? Well, I want you to think of a family you know, a family of five. Got them in mind? Family of five? Five people in the family? This is 36 families of five. That's how many people God has brought to the Lord. And uh, it's actually a little over 179 now because we had a few last night. And I just want you to think this is happening because we're part of a movement. And we're applying this principle not only in our individual lives, but together to say we follow through on our vision. We follow through on what God has called us to do. Well, the T of grit is team. And I wanna talk with you about your team in life. Your team in life. Here's this sort of paradoxical reality when you follow God. When you give your time and effort to a team of God's people, we call it a church, you receive things that money cannot buy, and you receive things that you could never achieve on your own. Mel and I have some good friends, they're about our age, 
from the West Coast, and they're not believers in Jesus. They're not, uh, they don't believe in God. And we were hanging out with them. We were just kind of catching up, and we were talking, and, and they were sharing with us that they're preppers. You know what a prepper is? Preppers like preparing for the apocalypse. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but they're really into it. They've got a bunch of food and a bunch of stuff. And they kind of said, you know, what's your plan if there's an apocalypse or like a, a two-week power outage or something? I said, well, you know, we're on a well and a septic, so I think we'd be okay there. We've got a bunch of food in the basement. But you know what our real plan is? Our real plan would be our church. Because what I know is if something crazy happened, we would all still show up on Sunday and we'd all be there, and guess what? In our church, we've got doctors, we've got nurses, we've got farmers, we've got law enforcement officers, we've got a whole movement. And our real plan, yeah, it's good to have some physical provisions, but our real plan, our real safety net in life is the people of God. And, and they were like, how do you get that? You know, can you buy that? Can you like get on a monthly subscription to have people who will show up at your house in an emergency? No, you, you can't buy it. You actually get it by giving. It's when you're in a group of other believers and you give to them. Those are the people who show up at the hospital. Those are the people who show up in the crises and in the emergencies of life. You know, we've been seeing this time of year, if you've been looking at the sky at all, the Canadian geese flying in their V. And you've heard before about that V formation, how they all rotate, taking their turn in the front where it's the hardest and where they're really carrying the weight of the team. I wonder, do you have some people who you're flying with who help you carry the weight of your life? I wonder, do you have a team that will fight for you? Do you have a team, do you have men and women who would fight for your kids' well-being or for your spouse's well-being? Do you have a group or a tribe who you know would show up for you? And I want to encourage you today, you're in the right place because you are surrounded by people who are doing that for each other and who want to do that for you. But you do have to have a moment where you move from being a fan to being part of the team yourself. Remember when I was a journalist, one time I got assigned to write a profile of an NFL athlete. He played for the Arizona Cardinals. And so I spent three days with the Cardinals in their preseason training up in Flagstaff, Arizona. And it must have been a really funny spectacle from the outside, because I was even scrawnier and even whiter and had these tiny little Harry Potter glasses that I wore at the time and my little notepad as a writer. And I'm walking around with these like six foot seven, 300, and these just like mountainous large humans. And they were all really nice to me, and it was fun because Emmett Smith was on the team at the time. It was great, but here's the thing. It was so obvious I wasn't part of the team. <laughs> Everyone knew. And I could never be on that team. I mean, I can't bench press 300 pounds. I, I can't run the, the 100 and whatever time. I, I could never qualify to be on that team. But there's such a difference between being on the team and being a fan. And here's the thing. For the work of God, you don't have to bench press 300 you don't have to run the hundred in a certain time. You just have to have a servant's heart that says, I will do my part. You know, this construction project, the wall around Jerusalem, each family had their part. And if you look at chapter three, you'll see the names. Just like we've got names on our wall for our greater things vision, there's names of families who took different gates, different parts of the wall, and each family had their part to play. And the reality is God created you from eternity past. He has woven into you certain gifts 
that no one else in the church has quite like you. Your gift might be hospitality. You're just able to make people feel welcome. Your gift might be giving. Your gift might be administration. Your gift might be teaching. All sorts of gifts, and you've got a special place on the wall to build like no one else can. Here's one example of this. Brandon, Brandon drums on our worship team. You'll often see him back here playing drums on weekends. And Brandon, to me, he is a model of this because in the last year, God has fulfilled a childhood dream of Brandon's. He always wanted to own a Napa auto parts store. And so this, this store is in Logansport, Indiana, and Brandon acquired this store within the last few months. And just this two weeks ago was the grand opening of the store. So knowing Brandon, I knew how hard he was working. I mean, one, it's an hour and a half drive there and then an hour and a half drive back every day. But on top of that, Brandon was working 15, 16-hour days, repainting the outside of the store, making it all look shiny and new, getting everything set up for their grand opening. And I knew he'd been working at that pace for days and days and days. And last week, I show up, and Brandon's drumming. I'm like, dude, why are you here? Haven't you been working like nonstop? You've got to be exhausted. He was like, yeah, I'm pretty tired. And I wasn't scheduled, but I got a call and they needed a drummer. And he said, here's how I live my life. It goes God, family, the local church, everything else. And so this guy in the middle of his grand opening of his store says, if I'm needed at church, I'll be there and serve. Is that not awesome? Now here's the thing. You know, Brandon's wife, Becca, as she's gone through skin cancer treatment in recent years, guess what? She's had a whole tribe of people around her. This is a family that is loved and cared for as they love and care for others. Jesus said, if you seek your own life first, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my priorities, for my people, for my work in the world, then you'll actually find your life. It's in giving that we get. It's in serving the body that our own needs are met. I wanna show you a true story of a sister in our church named Rachel. She was listening to a message like this and she said, I'm gonna start serving and it has impacted her life. Go ahead and take a look. My husband lived in Indianapolis before we moved. I lived in Ohio, a little north of Columbus. A little over a year later, um, ended up moving here and getting married just because the travel between Columbus and Indianapolis was about four hours every weekend and it was exhausting. We were attending Connection Point for a while, just on a weekly basis when I was in town visiting and seeing them. There was kind of a general feeling of, I feel kind of obligated to do something, um, but then there were things that kept popping up of like, hey, have you heard about this program that's going on? Or um, we need volunteers for this, or we need somebody who is able to do this, um, or is who, who is able to commit to this. And it was always like that feeling of, I could do that. And I was like, maybe I should do that. <laughs> After I moved, I was just feeling very like, very alone, very much like I didn't know what was happening because I had just moved four hours away from home, didn't really know anybody here. So I was like, I need something to do. So I started working, started volunteering, um, and it's made me much happier. I've never really done the middle school age. I've briefly done like sixth grade as like an after school program. Um, but I was like, I feel like I'm being called to step outside my comfort zone a little bit. And I was like, that's probably where I'm 
best suited to being. So I have a group of seventh grade girls now and they're absolutely wonderful. Every morning that I get to see them, they bring me joy because I know that I get to teach them about God and to influence their faith towards Him. The things that they struggle with, I've struggled with before and it's been like 10 years now since I've had those issues, but I still understand. Um, and it just kind of makes me realize that God has a plan for your whole life, not just for that year, not just for that day. Um, he's got it planned out for a long time. My childhood growing up was not the greatest. Um, I, there are definitely rough patches and things that I struggled with. And so working with those girls every week um, and seeing what they struggle with kind of reminds me of like, this is what was put in my path to help these girls now. Um, so it's just kind of making something positive out of something not so great. Um, and that's helped me a lot with just understanding that things happen, but they're for a reason. And you can always make the best out of something that's not great. My life's in a very different place than it used to be. <laughs> I have much more patience, <laughs> way more patience. I hope that I have a constant love for people um, that it comes out through what I do. And it's just that idea of like, as somebody who loves God, like my purpose is to love others. I can't do that sitting at home. That's <laughs> kind of difficult. Rachel stepped out and she's found her place in God's construction project that we call Connection Point. And there's a place for you on our team, a place where you can use your gifts and a place where you can build relationships. Maybe you're thinking, I just don't know how my gifts would fit in. That was the case for a brother of ours. His name is Sam. Here's a picture of Sam and his family. Sam works in high tech. He works at Salesforce. And for a couple years, Sam was you know, regularly attending and returning to God on the increase and in a small group. But he kept thinking and even praying, how do I use my skills in technology for a church? How does that make sense? Well, in the spring, as we unveiled that we have almost two or 3,000 people every day watching our messages online, and that we want to start connecting with those people, identifying them, building relationships with them so we can actually disciple them, and we shared this vision, Sam's one of about five lay people who have been gifted by God in that area, who stepped forward and said, we'd love to use our gifts. So they're now part of a team that we call our Tech Advisory Council, and they're actually building our digital strategy for how we're going to turn viewers into disciples. And the point of this is that no matter what your gift is, God's got a place for you. My gift is teaching, Brandon's gift is drumming, Sam's gift is technology, Rachel's gift is sitting with 6th and 7th grade girls. We've all got a gift, and your gift no one else could do. Your gift is special to you. And so I want to encourage you today, do you want to follow through with grit on the things that God has put on your heart? If so, there's really two applications today. You've got to have that routine, and you've got to have your team. And maybe you're in a place where just one of those is the application today. Maybe you just leave here and you say, you know what, today I'm getting out pen and paper, I'm opening up my Google Calendar, I'm going to sit down with the people that it affects, and this will be the time every week that we look at our finances or invest in our marriage. This will be the time every week that we show up at church. Routine. You can't have results without routine. Or is it the team that today you're like, you know, I've been doing those things, I'm seeing God work in my life, it's time for me to be part of the team. 
It's time for me to start working on the wall with everyone else. It's time for me to use my tools and my gifts. So whichever one of those it is, or both of them if you're an overachiever, I want to encourage you when you put your head on the pillow tonight to have done creating your routine, getting on the team, one or the other or both would be great. Let me pray that for you right now. Father, across this room, Lord, each person in here, you love as an individual. And I just thank you that we can connect to you whenever we slow down and pray to the God of heaven. Lord, we've learned in this series that the things that are broken down in our lives or the things that you're calling us to build, you care about these things. And God, we can get so emotional, we can get so discouraged, we can have all sorts of impulsive starts and then we stop. And God, you've taught us today that if we want to have lasting results in these areas of our lives, it's going to take follow through. And Lord, so much of that follow through is scheduling routine and rhythm that says, I will do the right thing. Just like an Olympic athlete, I'm going to show up to train when I don't feel like it. I will just do the right thing every week trusting that the feelings will follow. And Lord, we also can't do it without a team. So I just pray that you'd make it clear to each of us today which application, or if it's both of them, we're supposed to walk out of here with today. Whether it's scheduling weekly things that line up with your priorities in our lives, or saying, I will start serving on the team, or both. I pray today, Lord, for willpower and follow through, that every one of my brothers and sisters would walk out of here and actually do what you've prompted them to do. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.